Second Chronicles chapter 21. It's amazing how much practical advice that we can all gain as a result of uh, studying the lives of the, the characters in the Old Testament, but especially the prophets and also the kings. Whenever you think about the kings, each and every one of the kings, whether it's Israel or Judah, they all tell a story. And, uh, and that's what we're going to see today. And I might add a rather sad story. Chapter 21, verse 1. Now Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers, and he was buried with his fathers in the city of David, and Jehoram his son reigned in his stead. Now, if you will, turn to verse number 20, the last verse of this same chapter. Thirty and two years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years and departed without being desired. Howbeit they buried him in the city of David, but not in the sepulchres of the king. You know, in spite of their faults and their many failures, most people want to be well thought of. I really believe that. I mean, by their behavior, you might not get that impression, but deep down within, there's something in man, maybe it's the pride, that we want others to think well of us. We, you know, we want to be admired in some way. That, that's a natural tendency that, that people have and for the most part I think that extends even after after we're dead and gone you'd like for your friends and your loved ones to think well of you after after they've already buried you in a grave but they don't seem to realize that this is something that is determined by the way that we live and I, I don't know if you made the connection here or not. I hope you did. I'm not presuming on your ignorance, but it's something that's easy to, to miss. The example in this story of Jehoram, who provides us with a warning for our own lives. And notice in verse 20 again, and this is our text, that he departed without being desired. In other words, nobody cared. He's dead, he's gone, good riddance. Uh, it's all over. And uh, think about dying in disgrace. And that's what we're talking about this morning, dying in disgrace. I want you to notice his life of wickedness because this is what brought it all about. And that takes place here in the first 11 verses. Rather than reading all of those verses, look at verse number 6 here where we find that he was a weak and a wicked man. It says he walked in the way of the kings of Israel like as did the house of Ahab. Now, if you know anything about Ahab, you know he was the worst, worst dude of all. You know, he, he was a horrible, horrible king. And this guy had married the daughter of Ahab. Should have known better than that, by the way. So we're talking about Ahab and Jezebel, the most wicked couple ever. I, I've never heard anybody yet name one of their kids after, after one of them. 
come here, little Jezebel or Ahab, you know. You, you just don't do that. And here's a man who actually patterned his life after the evil example of Ahab. Rather than following the example of his daddy, Jehoshaphat, he follows the example of Ahab, the wicked king. And the shocking thing about this is that Jehoram was not ignorant uh, about this. He knew the sad history of Israel. And he had witnessed the results of their wickedness. He knew of Ahab and Jezebel's terrible death that's described over in 2 Kings. And in spite of knowing all of that, he chose to be like them. Uh, it's, it's hard to understand why people do what they do. But it tells me that we need to be careful about our associates. Be careful about who we admire and who we follow. Your heroes can lead you straight to hell as a result of having admiration for someone to the point that you're willing to, you're willing to do whatever they do, regardless of how nonsensical it might be that uh, your hero does that. And so you find yourself going down that same road and it ends in disaster. Now, when we talk about his life of wickedness, we see here the corruption of his character being revealed in two ways. Look at verse number four. Here's the first thing. He had no compassion for others. Now get this. He slew all of his brethren with the sword. Now keep in mind that he has already been, as the elder brother, he has already been given the throne. He already has the kingdom in his grasp. But he has these other brothers before daddy died, daddy gave them a bunch of silver and gold. And more than likely, he got a double portion of what they had. But they've got something and he wants more of what he's already got. And probably he's fearful that maybe, you know, they might try to overthrow me, have me assassinated or something. I'll just get rid of them. How wicked do you have to be to kill all of your siblings? And that's exactly what he did with a sword. He has no compassion for others. Boy, that's always a telltale sign as to the character of a person. Do you care about others? If you don't, you're in great danger yourself. Secondly, notice in verse 6 and again in verse 11, he has no concern for God. It says, he wrought that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And verse 11 tells us that he caused the people to commit spiritual adultery. That explains why he didn't have any compassion for people. He has no concern for God. And it just works that way. Yeah. Somebody that is unconcerned about God is not going to have compassion for people. Right. And if you're lacking in compassion for people, it's an indication that Something is wrong in regards to your relationship with God. Amen. A life of wickedness, but notice what happens beginning in verse 12. And there came a writing to him. Here is a letter of warning. There came a writing to him from Elijah the prophet. Now, you get a letter from Elijah, you, you know you're, you're headed for trouble because that guy didn't mince words. 
saying, Thus saith the Lord God of David thy father, because thou hast not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat thy father, nor in the ways of Asa king of Judah, but has walked in the way of the kings of Israel, and has made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to go a whoring like to the whoredoms of the house of Ahab, and also has slain thy brethren of thy father's house, which were, get this, which were better than thyself. Behold, with a great plague will the Lord smite thy people and thy children and thy wives and all of thy goods. And thou shalt have great sickness by disease of thy bowels until the bowels fall out by reason of the sickness day by day. Here is a letter of warning, and make no mistake about it, God always has something to say about sin. Others might have ignored this. They might have thought, well, you know, what he did was logical because he, does, he wants to eliminate any possible threat. And after all, he is the king. He is at liberty to do kind of whatever he wants to do. It's just not that big of a deal. It doesn't really affect me. And a lot of times there are those that just want to ignore the sin issue, but God has something to say about sin. And here we see him speaking about sin through Elijah the prophet. Boy, if ever we needed some more Elijahs, it's today. It's amazing how pastors of so-called mega churches will publicly confess, acknowledge, boast about the fact that they never preach about sin on national TV. I, there's no need to talk about sin. You know, people are, they know what they need and so forth and try to explain it away. Let me, let me clue you in. If you've never come to realize that you are a vile, filthy sinner in the sight of God deserving of a devil's hell, then you've never been saved. If you've never come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit making you aware of the fact that you are a sinner in need of salvation. You've never been saved. Some folks got the idea, well, you're talking about that Old Testament stuff, all of those laws and what have you. Listen, that was all for a purpose. As Paul said, it was our schoolmaster to do what? To bring us to Christ. And preaching begins with what? Making people aware of their sinfulness. And that takes us back to the commandments that God had given to Israel. Now, there's three things I want you to notice about Elijah. First of all, he was concerned. Sin disturbed him. Unlike, unlike these preachers today that are not concerned about sin, he was concerned. I'm certain that he had other things that he could have been doing. But he's concerned enough to do what God told him to do. I want you to write a letter. Not only is he concerned, but he's courageous. And I say that because this letter is going to the king. And the king is the guy that you're going to have, you, have you murdered. He can put you to death, make an open spectacle out of you. He can do whatever he wants to do. He's the king. And here's a preacher that has the guts to to deliver this message even to the king. 
And make no mistake about it, it was a clear message. There's no way the king could have misunderstood this message. The sad part is he just wasn't concerned about it, evidently. He didn't care. He knew exactly what God was saying through the prophet. But he didn't care. You know, that's the way it is with most people today. All over America right now, there are folks that are meeting in churches, hearing the word of God without ever responding to it. It may be a message pertaining to salvation. It might be a message pertaining to a number of things. It might be a, a message about the sin in someone's life, whatever it is. And folks come and they sit and they listen, they hear the message, but they fail to respond. My Bible tells me we're to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Doers of the word. Here he has the message. There's absolutely no reason whatsoever why things should have turned out like they did. Boy, if he ever made a mistake as a king, I mean, this is it. Ignoring the message that God had delivered and notice the loss of his wealth. And when I say wealth, I'm not talking about things. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about things of value. The things that matter most. A lot of things more important than money. But in this case, it did include his goods. Verse number 17, they came, that is the enemy. This is, this is what happens whenever we turn our back on God. All of a sudden, there's a disaster of some kind or another. We might say it's an act of nature. Well, the storm just blew through and blew my house down, but God didn't have anything to do with that. It surely couldn't be because I'm out of the will of God. And we can think of 411 different things, you know, that happen in our life. And that we always attribute those bad things that happen to happenstance. It just happened. Happens to everybody. You know, everybody gets sick. It couldn't be that I've got sin in my life. We, we don't want to face the fact that God has his hand in everything. He either appoints it or he allows it. Everything in our life. And whenever the bad things come, it's not always because of some sin in our life. It can be preventive. Or, or there's a number of other reasons why it might come. But you don't ever want to rule out the fact that it just might be that what's happened in your life is the result of sin in your life. We wonder what's wrong with our nation. You know, we say to ourselves, well, we want to blame this party or that party or this person or that person. How about putting the blame where it ought to be, and that's upon God's people that have failed to carry through on God's demands. The church is what? Church is the salt of the earth, the light of the world. If we don't do our job as a church, our nation deteriorates, and that's exactly, exactly what we've seen here in America. And then some disaster comes through, and we, you know, we all puffed up with our pride, we think, oh, what happened in Ukraine could never happen here. 
me tell you, it can be a whole lot worse than what's going on in Ukraine. There's a hidden line somewhere between the boundary between God's mercy and God's wrath. We all know about the story of Sodom. There was a boundary. He, the Lord said, you find ten righteous souls, I'll spare the city. That, that, just find me ten. He couldn't find ten. I don't know what it would take for God to keep America safe because we're, listen, we're unraveling, coming apart at the seams right now, whether we realize it or not. So what happens here is the fact that God allowed the enemies to come in against Jerome. And notice in verse 17, when he loses his goods, they came up into Judah and break into it and carried away all the substance that was found in the king's house. Wow. Can you imagine how rich this king is? He not only has everything daddy left him, he has, he has all of the riches that his siblings had, plus whatever, you know, he's accumulated during this time. Can you imagine someone so wealthy, and all of a sudden, if I read my Bible right, it says that they carried away all. I mean, they left him high and dry. As a king, that's an embarrassing situation to be in. So he's lost his goods. I'll never forget being visiting a person in the hospital years ago. And he was describing for me how that their, him and his wife, their life had just unraveled and had fallen apart. Now, I, I think I could have told him it was going to happen eventually, but, but just by observing them and noticing their lack of concern for spiritual things. But he's talking about we just built the house and just got the house, you know, built or almost built or something like that, and we lost it. Financially, lost, lost it. Out of work, no money, no house, nothing. And he was complaining about, about how unfair that was for God to let that happen. Because they'd been church members all their life. Like that ought to grant them an exemption. Just join the church and you'll be safe. Nothing bad will ever happen. And in the same conversation, he made the statement. He said, you know, as we, we were... So looking forward to getting this house that we haven't even been tithing for the last year or two. Really? Now the story's getting interesting because I mean, he, without even realizing it, he just confessed why God pulled the rug out from under him. You don't, listen, you don't rob God and get away with it. You're going to lose. And, and here is a man who disobeyed God and now he's lost all of his goods. But notice it doesn't end there. Look at the last part of verse 17. He lost his family. And his sons also and his wives. Yeah, that's plural. He should have known he's going to have problems. He lost his sons and his wives. So that there was never a son left him save Jehoaphaz the 
youngest of his sons. I guess just out of the mercy of God, you know, that the youngest boy was spared. But think about that. His family, all except that one kid, his family is now all gone. I think I can speak for everybody here whenever I say the thing that's most important to to each of us is our family. It's not our finances. It's not our fame. It's not traveling the world. It's not gaining great notoriety and getting our name up in lights. The thing we care about more than anything is our family. I always told my kids that I, and one of them gave me a card just a while ago that used that word unconditionally. I can remember so well saying to some of my kids, you know, I don't agree with what you're doing. I think it's wrong, and you know that's, that's right. But you can't ever do anything to stop me from loving you. And they also know that there's one person that I love more than them, and that's their mother. I don't love anyone as much as I love her. And to think about losing your family. And don't ever suppose it couldn't happen. You say, well, God wouldn't do anything like that. Well, David lost his baby. Am I right? Now, please, again, don't misunderstand. Just because somebody loses a child doesn't mean they're a horrible, terrible sinner in the sight of God, that they've done something wrong. God said, you know, I'm going to take your child. It doesn't mean that at all. It can be other reasons. God can take a Take a young child, maybe to prevent something that you have, you have no idea what might have happened if God hadn't have taken that child. God knows what he's doing, and he never makes a mistake. But I'm telling you, sin can literally cause you to lose your family. You didn't notice he lost his health. Look at verse number 18. And after all this, wow. We're not through yet. After all of this, he's lost his goods. He's lost his family. After all this, the Lord smote him in his bowels with an incurable disease. You know, whenever you're young, you don't really think a whole lot about uh, your health. I don't think I was an exception to that. I I didn't think much about my, my health, uh, and you know, other than getting chicken pox or the measles or something like that, and that didn't seem to be no really big deal, but I, I didn't sit around and worry about whether I'm getting some disease or not. I was out climbing trees and jumping off of buildings and stuff like that. I wasn't really concerned about it. But let me tell you, whenever you lose your health, and I can remember my, my mother saying a long time ago, when I was a little boy, one of those things I heard her say, your health is more important than anything else you've got. I probably should have listened to her because health is very important. Here is a man that, as a result of his sinful lifestyle, lost his health to this incurable disease. But it doesn't even end there. Notice in verse number 19, here we see the loss of his life. And it came to pass that in the process of time, after the end of two years, his bowels fell out by reason of his sickness, so he died of sore diseases. 
That's God's description. You know, if some of these modern preachers had been writing it, they would have, you know, they would have printed it all up, you know, so it didn't make such an ugly, nasty picture. God wanted us to get the picture. This is what literally happened. And it happened as a result of his sin. If, if you're one of those people who's got the idea, well, you know, we all just, we, we're all going to just live till we die, and you know, and we don't know when it is, and it doesn't make any difference really what we do. But have you ever thought about the fact that you could die before your time? Now, listen, you're not going to live beyond God's appointed time. Make no mistake about that. Regardless of how many veggies you eat or how much exercise you do, you'll never live beyond that appointed time that God has for you. But you can die any time before that time. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon said in verse 17, Be not over much wicked. That gets us on target of what we're talking about. He says, Be not over much wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why shouldst thou die before thy time? So now he has lost his goods, his family, his health, and his life. He's dead as dead can be. But would you believe it? There's something else that he lost. That in some ways is even more important than life. He lost his honor. Look at verse number 19 in the last part of this verse. And his people made no burning for him like the burning of his fathers. Verse 20. Thirty and two years old was he when he began to reign. And he reigned in Jerusalem eight years and departed without being desired. Howbeit, they buried him in the city of David, but not in the sepulchres of the kings. You see, because of his wickedness, the people refused to, to honor him in the first place. They didn't give him, give him what they call a burning. That was the burning of their aromatic wood, you know, that just was put off a beautiful fragrance, and it's all in honor of, 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 of the king. And they said, no, we're not having that kind of a funeral for a guy like this. They did it for all of the other kings. It was expected, but they passed him up. He had reigned as the king, and they refused to pay tribute to him. Now remember, the king's greatest desire was what? To be honored, to, to receive respect from others. And if there's anything that was the ultimate insult to a king, it was to refuse to honor and respect them. And that's what's going on here. They buried his body, but it wasn't there with the graves of the kings. Here's a man who lived as he pleased, and nobody was pleased with him. You could say he was a man that nobody wanted he died without a friend. And it's people like that that prompted someone to say the best part of some family trees is underground. That's kind of the way, kind of the way it was with him. You know, all of us are going to be remembered for something, whether it's good or whether it's bad. The very mention of your name is going to cause other people to, to remember something about you. I wonder what, what it, wonder what it will be. 
I think you, each one of us need to stop and ask ourselves, what are others going to think about me after I'm dead and gone? If you say, well, I don't care what they think about me, you've got a real problem. And if you don't know what they think about you, I can tell you what they think about you. And it ain't good. You're going to make an impression of some kind. And you need to think about it. The great military general, Douglas MacArthur, said, and I quote, he said, I don't want to be remembered as the great general who led armies and liberated the people. I want to be remembered as the Christian father who prayed and read the Bible with his children. Now, that's a wise man. Don't honor me because of all of the things that I've done. If there's any honor to be given, let, it, let me be known for being a godly father that prayed and read the Bible with his children. Now, remember, King Jehoram is in a position to, to be a great blessing. He's a king. He has all of this wealth. He has the authority to make things happen. Think about what he could have done for the people. Think about what a nice guy he could have become, what a blessing he could have been to people. But he didn't care. So con consequently, nobody cared for him. I, I pray that that could never be said of anybody that's here today. I think we ought to strive to to live and to leave a legacy of some kind. Things more important than winning the admiration of other people because it's what God thinks about us that matters the most. And what God thinks about us is often determined by what we think about other people and how we interact with them, what we do for them. You can be the most admired and honored person on the earth, and it's all absolutely for naught if you don't trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's not about what you do for others. It's what you do regarding the will of God in your life. You can win every award known to man. You can be the richest person on earth and still not have a home in heaven. How sad that is. And the only way you can become a child of God is what? By grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way. There's no alternate route. There's not some other religion that maybe you've, maybe you've not considered. There is nowhere else to go. The Lord said to his disciples, you going to leave also? He said, to whom will we go? Where are we going to go? I tell you, you walk away from the Lord. Let me tell you right now, there is no place to go. Amen. There's no other source of salvation. No other means of satisfaction and security and all of the blessings that come with being a Christian. But it's your choice. With God's life uh, uh, help, you can live a life of holiness toward God. You can live a life of helpfulness to other people. You can live a life of happiness 
for yourself. That you can do all of those things if you don't waste your life. And here's a man that wasted his life and he hurt everybody that was under his authority and everybody that he was in contact with. It's your choice. But there's only one choice and that choice is Christ. I want you to remember when you leave here today that only a life well lived is of any value. Only a life well lived. If we just live our life with a selfish attitude, not caring about anybody, making no contributions to the world that we live in, there's no reason for us to have even lived. You know, living without making a difference is a disgrace. And that's what we see here. You lose and others lose. Let me tell you, in this being Father's Day, this message doesn't just pertain to fathers, but it certainly includes us fathers. The impression that you make on others, especially children, make a tremendous difference in their lives. It's, it's not, not just about being remembered. I could never forget my mother and daddy and the good times that we had together, you know, and I remember them, but the important thing is not just re being remembered, but what are you remembered for? I'm glad my daddy was saved later in life because I sure didn't get any spiritual training whatsoever as a child. Daddy put a roof over our head and food on our table and shoes on our feet and clothes on our back. Mom and dad took care of of all of our needs like that, all except our spiritual needs. Let me tell you, if you don't provide for the spiritual needs of your children, you're majoring on minors. The most important thing that we can do as parents is to focus on the spiritual things and provide those spiritual needs for our children. Let me ask you, what will you be remembered for? You can Listen, and I, I leave with this. You can choose how you live, but you cannot choose the consequences. And there's always consequences. You can go the same route that Jerome went, and you can take down that road and say, I don't care what anybody thinks, this is what I'm going to do. I've got the authority to do it, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm not letting God or man or anybody else tell me what I'm going to do. You can go that route if you want to. But remember, we reap what we sow. We do. It's just that way. Nature teaches us that. We reap what we sow. So, Dad, what are your kids going to remember about you? What are they going to be their thoughts? Many years ago, I'd, uh, I'd heard and, and read a poem that uh, I got to thinking about it this morning. I hadn't thought about it in years. And I looked it up, and if I don't lose it here on this iPhone, it's called The Bridge Builder. 
said an old man, old man going to alone highway came at the evening cold and gray to a chasm vast and deep and wide through which was flowing a sullen tide. The old man crossed in the twilight dim. The sullen stream had no fear for him. But he turned when safe on the other side and built a bridge to span the tide. Old man said a fellow pilgrim near, you're wasting your strength with building here. Your journey will end with the ending day. You never again will pass this way. You've crossed the chasm deep and wide. Why build this bridge at evening tide? The builder lifted up his old gray head. Good friend, in this path I have come, he said. There followed after me today a youth whose feet must pass this way. This chasm that has been as naught to me, to that fair-haired youth may a pitfall be. He too must cross in the twilight dim. Good friend, I'm building this bridge for him. And I'll tell you, Mom, Dad, we need some bridge builders. Amen. Some people that will give of themselves. And, and we ought to live that way. And, and listen, don't die in disgrace. Brother Kenneth and I met with our Timothy team yesterday and... And again, I affirm the fact of how thankful we ought to be as a church. I, through COVID and, and all of these other problems and difficulties, just look at what God has done for us. And, and it's just it's a miracle is all I can say. When I have preacher friends that, I, I mean, they are broke. Their attendance has dwindled down to nothing. There are many churches that have literally closed. And stop and think about what God has done for us. And you remember unto whom much is given is much required. I'm so glad I can stand here today and look out there and see young men and young women who love the Lord and have a desire to serve God. They're not just playing games like a lot of kids they're serious about serving God. You don't know how much that means to me at my age, knowing I have more years behind me than I do ahead of me, and knowing that. Now, I just want to challenge all of you. Let's just keep building bridges because there's a new generation coming up behind us. Dad, Mom... What are your children going to remember about you when you're dead and gone? You don't have to die in disgrace. I don't know, your situation might be like my dad. He, 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 he didn't mean any harm. He just wasn't saved and just absolutely didn't know. He didn't know what, what to do other than feed us and clothe us. He, he didn't know. But you know you know, and it's all on you if you ignore God's word. Let's pray together, Father. I pray, Lord, that this will not be just another ordinary 
service, not just another same old, same old kind of a day. Lord, I pray you'll help us to expect the unexpected. Do something unusual even. I pray that your will will be done in each of our lives. Help us, Lord, not to look over our shoulder or across at somebody else and think about what their needs might be, but may each one of us examine ourselves in the light of your word. And may we leave here today with a right relationship with you and a bold determination that by your grace, we're not going to die in disgrace. Save the sinner that's nearest hell. Encourage that saint, that dear child of God who's discouraged in the way. Heal those that are sick. Help those that are weak. And glorify yourself in everything that's said and done. For we beg it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand now as we sing this invitation song? And if God's speaking to your heart about anything at all, now's the time to do business with God. It might not have anything to do with this message. It might be something else altogether. But don't ignore God, please, while we sing.